Here's our series on aging in Portland. Retired or rewired? What it's like getting old in a youth-centered city. Are you up for that challenge? We'll bring you lots of views, but you'll have to answer this question for yourself. Is Portland a good place in which to grow old? This is the 13th in KBOO series on what it's like to age in Portland. We called it Retired or Rewired. Today we're talking with Ellen Clem of the State Office of the Department of Justice. Ellen is Director of Consumer Outreach and Education in the State Office of the Attorney General. She educates seniors on how to be savvy consumers. Ellen is a lawyer who formerly worked for the American Bar Association on policy development and advocacy for low-income seniors. Her publications include Six Signs It's a Scam and Just Hang Up. Ellen Clem is our guest today. Ellen is the Director of Consumer Outreach and Education in the Office of the Attorney General of the State of Oregon. Ellen, welcome to KBOO. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Ellen, you've got a big job, and we are focusing on one aspect of it, that is scamming the elderly. Is that a big industry in, in Oregon? Is, is there a lot of fraud directed against the elderly? Well, let me just clarify. My job is not scamming the elderly. My job is keeping the elderly <laughs> safe from scams. Oh, sorry. I don't want to confuse oh. your listeners. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yes, yes, it is a big job to keep older adults in the state of Oregon safe from fraud and scams. And I, I love doing it. It's a challenge, but it's it's a different challenge every day, and it um, it definitely um, keeps me entertained and working hard. Can you give us an idea of how big this um, scamming business is in terms of arrests or convictions, dollar values, anything? I wish I could, but it's really difficult to quantify with numbers, and there's a number of reasons for that. The biggest reason, unfortunately, is that individuals who fall victim to a fraud or a scam in the state, and all states, in fact, across the country, are hesitant to report that they've lost money or been a victim of identity theft for a number of reasons, but the most is the important reason is that they're embarrassed. They don't want people to know that this has happened to them. Individuals who fall victim to fraud and scams, they, they're embarrassed. They don't want to report it, or maybe they don't know how to import, report it, which is why it's so great that I get to be on your show today and, and talk about how they can report it and how we can get more information about what's happening across our state. Let's face it, not many people like to admit that they've been ripped off. True. They feel a little foolish. True. So if you're listening and you're the victim of a scam, try to get past that so that you can call uh, the right people and uh, perhaps protect other people from the same problem. That's an important point, I think, to let listeners know that the scammers are really sophisticated. They're very good. And so individuals who have fallen victim to one of these um, very sophisticated scams, they shouldn't feel embarrassed. Okay. What are the most common types of scams that you find used against the elderly? Can you tell us that? Well, I would definitely like to talk about how the phone is used as a tool to commit fraud against older Oregonians. Let's talk about the phone. 
the phone. The phone is sort of the bane of my existence because when I was growing up, I'm I'm almost 40, and I was taught that you answered every single phone call and you were polite to the caller on the other end. And I assume that many of your listeners were taught the same thing. And it's very difficult to navigate the new world of fraud and scams that comes over the telephone line because we really probably shouldn't be answering every phone call that comes our way. And we definitely shouldn't be polite to these uh, callers that are trying to take our money, our identity, and other personal information. Are you saying that we should let our calls go into the um, answering mode? I think that's a great idea. You know, my mom does that. She lets every phone call go to her answering machine, and she does it for a number of reasons. The first reason, she says, is she doesn't, she's not as young as she used to be, and so rushing to answer the phone isn't as easy as it once was. But the most important reason, I think, from from your listener's perspective, is that these scammers, they, they often don't leave voice messages because they don't have time. They want to move on to their next victim. And um, it's very difficult to convey a number of things in a, in a message left on an answering machine. So I think it's great to just let everything go to your answering machine. I would encourage you, if that is uh, the route you're going to take, to let your friends and family know that so that when they call, they, they start to leave you a message. So, for example, when I call my mom, I say, hey, mom, it's me, you know, just did an interview at KBU, driving home, give me a ring back, or if you're there, pick up. People with landlines at home are targeted easily. Is that right? That is true. So gone are the days that, when I, again, when I was growing up, the phone book came to my front step and my neighbor's front steps, and that was about as far as it went. Nowadays, everything is online, including the phone book. So if you're an individual who has your phone number, heaven forbid, your address in the phone book, I would encourage you to to get that removed as quickly as possible because the scammers, most of whom are overseas, can easily find that information in just a matter of seconds and and give you a ring and identify you as an older adult because most older adults have landlines. They're in the phone book. Millennials, not so much. So the advice from Ellen and the Attorney General is don't answer the phone right away and get rid of that listing on the the phone book. I think that's good advice. I would also encourage your listeners, if they do answer the phone, they should hang up if they see a number or hear, excuse me, a number of signs, warning signs that are associated with scams. Well, that raises the question of uh, a publication you have on your website, which anyone can read, six signs it's a scam. What are they? Yes, that is a very popular handout that we produced several years ago, and uh, it's been highly successful in, in my work getting the word out to people about the signs of a scam. The first sign of a scam is that the scammer or the fraudster contacts you out of the blue. So, for example, we were talking earlier about the weather turning warm and people outside gardening and having an individual drive by and and stop and say something akin to, gosh, it looks like you could really use a new roof. So that's a little bit out of the blue. Now, if you've been in the market for a new roof, 
and you've had appointments with individuals coming over to your house to give you an estimate for a new roof, that's not so out of the blue. But somebody stopping you on the street to, to tell you that, a little bit out of the blue. Same with phone calls, the IRS imposter scam, the grandparent scam. These are all phone calls out of the blue. You didn't know that you owed money to the IRS. You had no idea that your grandson was going to be traveling to Mexico or Canada. So that contact out of the blue is the first sign that it's a scam. And don't worry about owing money to the IRS. If you do, let them come for it. Well, those are some great pieces of advice. Uh, you were talking about a, a scam that's ongoing about the installation of burglar alarms. Talk about that a little bit. What do we have to worry about there? Sure. So as the weather gets warmer, we're going to see a lot more of these door-to-door sales. And not all of them are scammers, but we see an uptick this time of year. And before I left to come to your show today, I, I checked in with my team and they wanted me to mention the fact that they're seeing a rise in the number of complaints associated with alarm companies and scam alarm companies. A variety of complaints have come into our office in the past couple of weeks, but the gist is basically somebody comes to the door, says they have a great deal that you can't refuse on an alarm system. They install the alarm. They do pretty, you know, not great work and then they bill you for something that's significantly higher than what you agreed upon or perhaps the alarm system doesn't work at all or even in one awful very rare hopefully rare situation we had an individual who had installed an alarm system on an older woman's house and then came back several days later to rob her so those are things we want our callers to look out for or, or the, they could be installing an alarm system that actually listens into your conversations Oh, gosh, we haven't had any complaints about that, but the scammers are, they're always trying new things, so I wouldn't be surprised to hear it. Sounds like a Lexus to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you made me aware of the issue of carrying your Medicare card. Yes. I had not thought about this. I have it in my pocket right now. What's the issue there? The issue there is if you carry your Medicare card in your wallet or your purse, you are at risk of identity theft. If that wallet or purse is stolen and your card is in there, the card contains extremely sensitive information, your social security number. So whenever I'm out and about talking to, to members of the community, I always remind them to take that card out of your wallet or your purse. Put it someplace safe. You do not need it unless you are going to a doctor's office that you've never been to. And if you go to a doctor's office that you've been going to for several years and they tell you that they need a copy of that card, tell them to call me. They don't. They have several copies of that card. Take it out of your wallet. Take it out of your purse. Keep it somewhere safe because carrying around your Social Security number is a big risk. I think that's a great um, a great piece of advice. And I looked at my wallet, and I'm going to get that thing out of there tonight. Good. We talked a little bit about charities. You don't expect to be um, looking down the charities' um, issues as a scamming entity, but you can be. What about that? Well, during the end of the year, we see a lot of scams related to charitable giving. Typically, that involves scam charities or scams or charities that have popped up overnight. 
Sometimes they can pop up in response to events in the news. For example, after the Boston Marathon bombing, we saw a number of scams associated with charities that had just popped up overnight. So we encourage Oregonians to do their research before they give to any charity. And you can do that on our website, which is OregonConsumer.gov, or you can visit other websites like Charity Navigator. Just get a sense of the mission of the charity, how long they've been around. You can even look at their financials on our website. Just do that research so that you ensure that your your donation is going where you want it to go to a cause you believe in, and it's not going to be wasted on something frivolous. What about these uh, disasters? I suppose you want to help the victims of the uh, Park Lawn massacres. Murders. How how do you de- detect uh, which one is the right charity and which one is not? Again, I think it goes back to the research and and making sure that you're dealing with an established charity that has the experience, the expertise to come in and provide those services. So find out what it is that you you know if you if you want to give to a particular cause, research that cause, make sure the mission of the charity aligns with with your belief system and then donate there the the charities that pop up overnight always give me a little bit of heartburn because they don't necessarily have the experience to to provide those services you talked about prepaid cards what is it about prepaid cards that's so uh, dangerous sure so prepaid cards again back to the six signs it's a scam that's a huge sign of a scam when the scammers want you to buy a prepaid card or they want you to wire money. The prepaid cards are those cards that you see at Safeway, Walgreens, Rite Aid, etc. The end of the aisles, typically near the checkout, they're up against, you know, with the gift cards to Nordstrom's or Ruby Tuesdays or wherever. The scammers want you to go to one of these establishments like Fred Meyer, buy a card, load it with a couple hundred bucks, and then call the scammer back, read them the number on the back of the card, and while you're doing that, they're entering it into their computer system and instantly draining the money from that card. And their pretense would be that that money would go to one of your relatives somewhere, or...? Sure. So they often ask you to buy these cards in response to a scam. So they've contacted you out of the blue. They've claimed there's some sort of emergency, like your grandson is in jail and he needs bail money. Uh, you should go down to Rite Aid and buy a prepaid I card. I see. So it, it's a little easier in a sense because you don't actually see them. You don't give them the money directly. Sure. Yes. So it seems to make it more palatable. I get you now. And it's very quick. It's fast. And you can do it after the banks are closed. So you can do it in the middle of the night. You can do it at four in the morning. And the scammers know that. Right. And there was one other thing. What was it? Well, I was mentioning that the tellers at the bank have been well-trained in how to spot the fraud and scams. And so when they see a customer that they've dealt with for a number of years who comes in and says something akin to, I need to wire $2,000 to Mexico for my grandson, the tellers know that's a scam. They know how to talk their customer out of making that mistake. But... That can be very difficult for the cashier at Walgreens who's not as knowledgeable about these frauds or scams and just has to continue to ring people up day after day. 
How can a consumer who's been the victim of a fraud contact you? Well, the best way to contact the Oregon Department of Justice is through our website or on the phone. And our website is really easy. It's OregonConsumer.gov. Then we also have a toll-free consumer hotline that's staffed Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30 by volunteers, real live people who answer the phone. And that number's pretty easy as well. It's one 877 9392. They can call and ask questions or ask for a complaint form to be mailed to them, whatever they want. Is there any financial remedy or relief for a person who's been scammed? It depends. It can be very difficult and very challenging to recover money, especially if you've wired it or especially if you've bought one of the prepaid cards can also be a big challenge for us if the scammers are overseas. We don't have the best relationships with every nation in the world, and unfortunately the scammers know this and they're hiding out in countries where it, it can be a challenge for us to bring them to justice. So the education piece, letting people know the signs of a scam, when to hang up the phone, when to shut the front door, when to delete the email, and when to call the Oregon Department of Justice are so critical. So I really appreciate you having me on your show here today. So don't answer the phone. Let it ring to your answering machine. Our guest today, Ellen Clem from the uh, State Department of Justice. Ellen, thank you for joining us here. Thank you for having me. guest today is Jennifer Jones. We're also speaking today with Jennifer Jones, a volunteer advocate with Elders in Action who works in the real estate industry. Jennifer, tell us your, your title and organization. I work with the Twin Team Realtor and I run our senior program, Seniors on the Move, and I am our transition specialist. We heard about you through Elders in Action, I believe. Do you work with them? I do. I'm a personal advocate with Elders in Action. They're a fantastic organization. There is no uh, no wrong answer there. Anybody can go and get an answer, uh, get find an advocate, get solutions uh, from people who have been from referral sources who have been vetted by industry professionals, which really helps alleviate a lot of anxiety when it when the question of who do I trust comes to the head. Jennifer, we're concerned about um, older folks in real estate transactions uh, getting taken advantage of or falling into situations that they shouldn't. You've got some experience with that. Tell us uh, some things you've learned that we need to be watchful about. Well, there's so many levels of getting engaged in the real estate experience. There's the homeowner who is not ready to sell and uh, somebody solicits them with a fear-based campaign and inspires them to to move faster than perhaps they're ready to actually move. And um, we'd really like to see those those particular individuals um, find, yes, and that's why Elders in Action is such a great resource, so that they can call and, and say, you know, is this a typical way of being 
addressed by an industry professional, and that way elders in action can say no, you know, let's let's figure out what the correct course of action is for you and find you some solutions. And then there are seniors who are ready to sell and access all of those assets locked in the house and move into a senior living community where their meals are made for them. And it's not a two-level, 2,500-square-foot home that they can't maintain. And in those instances, there's a couple of different levels. There's danger in, and I, I try to be careful because I don't think any, I don't want to motivate people by fear, just like I would tell our clients not to let fear be their motivation. So there's a lot of really wonderful people out there, but there's also some people who are trying to take advantage of perhaps somebody who hasn't understood or been in the market for 40 years and thinks that a a valuable price on their home is perhaps far less than than their home is actually worth. So I've had instances where a client feels that the a sale price on their home in a really desirable area of $400,000 would be a fantastic gain for them when in actuality the home could be worth 7 or 800,000. dollars So, it's important to make sure that um that when you're solicited as a homeowner that you do some due diligence and make sure you get a lot of of other advice. Seek second, third, and fourth opinions before making decisions. You told me a story about someone uh, involved in a potential house trade or swap that wasn't to their advantage. How did that go? Yeah. We we had a, a client that was actually not a client. She was a referral from Elders in Action because she had a a family friend who had offered to exchange a modest home in the Washington, in the Vancouver area, for her high-priced, high-valued home in a desirable neighborhood in the Portland area. And it was very disadvantageous to her. And she um, had the, the wherewithal to contact Elders in Action on the day the deal would have been finalized and question it. And I was able to come in with my agent and confirm her suspicion that the deal was not in her best interest. And we were able to advise her to to not only cancel the deal, but also what language to use when going back to her um, her family friend and in a way to construct a situation that would be more financially lucrative for her position. And you refer to the person as a family friend, and no doubt it was, but it illustrates the fact that family friends can misguide you too, perhaps unwittingly. Can and, and it can be unwittingly. You're absolutely right. A lot of people talk about that which they don't know, and they feel like an expert in other scenarios, and so it's easy to take their trust. I won't pretend that every family friend is is on the up and up. There's animosity sometimes towards generations who seem like they have more financial assets than other generations. There's lots of opportunities for people to be taken advantage of and and their home is just one of those those situations that is ripe for the plucking. So if you've got a, a child who would like to get a good deal on a home and 
and a senior perhaps who doesn't understand what that good value is to them, there can be a lot of asset lost. And, you know, it's it's difficult. If, if you want to sell your home and you have the financial means to give somebody a good deal and you feel like the person that you're going to sell to is going to raise a family in the home and that's what you've always wanted is for your home to pass on to somebody else, then that's what a gift. What a gift that you can give to somebody and that's great. But if you need the money that's tied up in your home in order to live the next 15, 20 years in the same living conditions that you've been living the previous 60 years, then it's important for you to realize all of that gain from your own home. And a lot of people need that. Uh, You also mentioned the uh, situations where you may get a letter suggesting that you needed to develop your lot, that the city had changed its policies, or there were policies that would yeah. require you to make take action quickly and you need to do yeah. something. What What's yeah. that situation? How does it work? So I have a friend who's, whose mother owns a bare lot behind her home, actually, and she lives out of state, so it was kind of a favor that mom bought the adjoining lot so that my friend could have some garden space. And she received a letter from a company telling her that the development costs in the city were going to be changing and that it was in her best interest to sell immediately to before the laws changed so that she could um, realize as much financial gain from the sale as possible. And of course, they offered her a, a price for that. And while while pieces of that are not necessarily untrue, the laws do often are often slated to change. Um, some of those regulations that they're speaking of get actually rolled over into other years, and and so they were inciting fear in a way that didn't need to exist. But fear motivates people, and my biggest whenever I meet with a with a client as a personal advocate, I really want to remind people that it is not in their best interest to make decisions from a place of fear. Like those are never the best decisions to be made. So being knowledgeable, having, having the power, having lots of research, those put you in a position of making really good, sound decisions for yourself. What I get from from your words of wisdom here, uh, Jennifer, is uh, don't act out of fear or haste and get professional help when you need it. Elders in action may be a resource, or there may be others. Uh, Even a good realtor or someone you trust uh, could be a good source of um, ideas and review. I would like to remind people that if one realtor comes to you and and sounds great and, and you connect with them, that's fantastic and put them at the top of your of your list but that shouldn't prevent you from interviewing other realtors because um, they're doing a job for you it's like hiring an employee and and asking two or three or as many as it takes to connect with the right person that's an interview that will only benefit you in the end so find somebody you connect with but also make sure that you're getting information that is kind of uniform across the board. Never hurts to compare sources and, and advice. And Jennifer Jones, thanks for joining us today. 
Thank you very much. In the next episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Allison Lindauer of the Layton Institute at OHSU. Dr. Lindauer works with patients and their families on creating treatment programs for Alzheimer's patients. Don't miss this program. You've been listening to our series on Aging in Portland, Retired or Rewired. You can listen to any episode in this series or the entire series if you go to kboo.fm and look for the show under my name, Tom Flynn. Thanks for joining us today.